you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Um, And in that chapter, we see Jacob struggling with a man and then being blessed and his name changing kind of both at once. And later on, we're going to be talking about the importance of that renaming moment. Um, But for now, we're going to talk about that struggle and his fighting with that man and what that meant um, and how that led to the blessing. So the question for now is, Jacob was already blessed by Isaac. Why did he need to be blessed again? Why did he feel the need to struggle with this man and get blessed again? That's good. So it's kind of like you get um, something that's given to you, but it's, it's, it has no batteries. So you get this wonderful toy, it's in your possession, but it, it, it can't function because there's nothing that's going to start it to move or, or do what you think it's supposed to do. So Jacob was in this place with the blessing. It seemed like it was supposed to be his, but he didn't sense anything in him that changed him. He still felt himself as this, this conniver, this guy who had to get his way. And so we see that story unfold when he leaves his parents' house and travels back to where his, his mother is from, and um, he lives with his mother's brother. And he's really looking for a wife amongst his mother's brother's family, which genetically seems wrong now, but back then we're, we're in a different age where it didn't really affect him like it does today. So he's, um, he f- sees a little woman of his dreams, which is Rachel. And um, her, his uncle, his, his um, mother's brother, which is his uncle, kind of confusing already, um, Uncle Laban, uh, is a conniver. It just so happens, just like Jacob. It's sort of like what you reap is what you sow. So Jacob is starting to sow that which he's reaped for many years of his life, this sense of conniving and deceiving others to get his own way. So when he thinks he's, he's gotten um, Jacob's, uh, Laban's daughter to be his wife on the wedding day, on the wedding night, it's actually Rachel's sister, Leah, not Rachel herself, and that was Laban's doing. He switched the sisters and told the older sister to go in to Jacob. And Jacob wakes up in the morning and says, what's this all about? You know, he's like freaking out because his, the, the woman of his dreams is not laying in bed with him in the morning. So that begins this whole episode where, no, you can't just have um, Rachel. You can have Rachel, but first you have to um, work for me for seven years. And then after that, I'll see if you're worthy enough, then I'll give you Rachel. Well, anyway, this whole thing goes on. Um, Jacob, his character starts to be developed at this point like never before because life for him was pretty much easy street, even though he had his ups and downs. He had to run for his life, but still he's alive. And um, he feels the safety and the protection of his mother and father, even if from a distance. So seven years to him is no longer a big thing because he's so awestruck by Rachel that he's going to live it out until that day. So that day approaches. Fast forward, they, he, he has to stay another seven years to live in Laban's house because that's the, that's the deal on Laban's side. And Jacob's willing to do that. Now he has two wives and they, they start to bear children for him. 
some through Rachel, some through Jacob, uh, some through Leah, and some through their handmaidens. And um, so he builds up this family. There's 11 sons, and they, God, he hears from God, it's time for you to go back to your father's house. So he packs up his, his wives, his livestock, which is much. He's got um, much in the way of possessions, far more than what he came with. He came with nothing, and he's literally leaving with a company, what they called by number, a company of his herd. It's gigantic herd, which God said that you were going to get all these. The part of the blessing is that you can have multiplied possessions. You will return with a company. And so he's actually returning now with two companies. So God's multiplied blessing to him in the natural. So it's very important to know in the natural Jacob is being blessed, just like God said. He's got 11 sons, and he's got daughters that they don't number, but he's, he's also got a tremendous amount of flocks, and he's got servants with him. This large company, two companies of people and flocks and herds. So he leaves Laban, and um, on the way out of, of the land where he's coming from, Laban's territory, um, Laban shows up. So Laban is hot on the trail after him because he realizes that Jacob snuck out at night with his daughters, his grandchildren, and all his possessions. And apparently they lived on a different part of the property. So he could do that because it's a huge group to sneak out in one night. But he had it all planned out and they left. And he, remember, he's a professional deceiver. He's a conniver. He knows how to do these things. So he gets on the road and then Laban shows up and says, hey, somebody took the family idol. And um, he starts getting on Jacob's case that he, not only did he take away without saying his, his goodbyes, but he stole the family idol, which no one does that. So Jacob said, hey, search me. I got nothing. Search my everything. Search anyone. Anyone who has this, if you find this on anyone, that person can be cursed. You can do what you want with. And so it was actually Rachel that took that family idol but she saw her father coming, and she hid it under her purse, sitting on it. And she told her father that I'm going, please don't make me get at, off the saddle because I'm going through the season of women. So that um, he says, okay, just stay there. And he trusts it's his daughter, and he should certainly not do this. So they leave. And the, the problem is that it's, Laban is still not satisfied, but he's leaving him alone. And so they get to this point, to a river crossing. The, the river is called um, Jabok, which literally means crossing over. So from there, they'd be crossing over into the land where his forefathers lived, the land of promise, which God had already appointed for Abraham and his descendants. But he remembers very clearly that the last thing his brother said is, the next time I see you, it's the end. And he knows the kind of brother, the kind of man her, his brother is because he disobeyed his parents at the drop of a hat and went off and married Esau's daughters, which was the most shameful thing, most disgraceful thing for them, and the highest, the height of disobedience and disrespect. So he knew his brother was capable of anything. So he comes up with another plan. Remember, he's a planner and a conniver. So he sends, he says, this is my plan. I'm going to send over all my possessions flock by flock by flock, and, and then I'll have a special portion, a huge portion, for Esau. 
So he does that. He lines them all up and he sends them over. And then he sends over his wives and his servants over behind them. And he tells some of his servants when they meet Esau, that's, they're supposed to tell Esau that this is your servant, not your brother. This is your servant, Jacob, who wants you to have this company of flock, of herds and cattles, of sheep and goats and etc. And so it's to appease him, this first act of appeasement that we know in human history. I'm sure there was others, but it's the first one we get wind of. And seemingly it should work because there's so much there. But Jacob is left alone and everyone is gone and it's night, it says. So Jacob's left alone at night. Everything he's owned accumulated for 21 years, including his wives and children. So he's got 11 sons and Rachel is pregnant with their 12th. So he's by himself and he's obviously afraid and it's night and it speaks about the darkness of the soul. And this crazy thing happens. This man, out of nowhere, comes and begins to wrestle with him. Now, how weird is that? This man begins to wrestle with him. But there's something about this man that Jacob just doesn't say, hey, man, what's up with you? What are you wrestling with me? And where did you come from? There's not supposed to be people here. And so he's kind of like me and my story with the crabs. You know, there's no place to go. And But yes, he's under assault. But it's a man. It's not a crabs. It's a man that wants to wrestle with him that starts the fight. And, rest, and Jacob engages with him. And they wrestle, and it says they wrestled all night long. Now, you know, you talk about struggle. That is an immense physical struggle. Um, if anyone's ever wrestled, I was a wrestler in high school. And um, I, I, I have to go back to this just as an example. Um, we were a very good wrestling team. We had state champions on the team. But this day, we were leaving the schools, high school, and we were leaving the school to go to a town in Brentwood, um, New York, which was known for its wrestling. And it was, a, it was a high competition match. And I was all excited about it because I was not wrestling. I was the second man. And I get to watch the whole thing. And I was really excited because the guy that was in my weight class that was first to wrestle um, was a really good wrestler. And so I was eager to see this match and thinking that maybe we could win because the guy he was going to wrestle was 14-0 in competition. I remember very little in those days, but I remember this very clearly. This was a night for me like Jacob. So even though I was supposed to be a spectator, I'm on the bus and I'm fooling around with my friends in the back of us because we're, we're not going to wrestle. These guys in the front are wrestling. They're really quiet because of the, the strength of this team. And the, the coach walks back from his seat in the front all the way to the back of buses where I'm sitting. And I'm like, this is weird. And he comes up to me and he says, Robbins, you're wrestling. And I'm like, what? And he says, Capasso is so sick. He's throwing up. He can't wrestle. You're wrestling. And he goes, I only got one bit of advice for you. Don't get pinned in the first round. And I'm like, uh, you got to be kidding me. And I'm looking for the exit sign. You know how they have emergency exits? And I'm wondering if I open the exit sign at 40, 50 miles an hour, will I die? Because I know I'm going to die on the ring um, if I don't die now. And I was like, I wanted to throw up with everything in me, but I, I knew I couldn't. So when I got out there to wrestle this guy, all I was, the only counsel I got from this coach was don't get pinned in the first round. So the first round is the longest round. So it's a seven minute 
match, but it's three minutes the first round. I thought three minutes would never end because this guy had me twisted up in positions that I didn't think I was possible to be in. And he couldn't pin me though. I just, and it wasn't that I was trying not to be pinned, but I knew that my coach was going to kill me if I did get pinned. But um, I just couldn't move. He had me twisted up such, so much like a pretzel that my, my bones were aching and breaking and my muscles were twisted so much that I was in agony just from wrestling for less than three minutes. So I know what that's like. And uh, fortunately, I made it through the first round, but not the second. But I never lived it down. But I realized that I was not carved out to be a wrestler. But I know what it means to struggle like that. And this is what Jacob did. And it said that he wrestled all night long. So this is physically, um, I would say, in the realm of the impossible. But this is the determination we see in this man, Jacob, that he was willing to do that. At the end of the night, we say that the dawn broke, that the sun began to rise. God speaks to you. He doesn't know it's God yet. He thinks it's, he, know, he realizes it's, it's an otherworldly being, probably from being so tied up with him all night long that this is not a normal person. And yet he says to him, man, give up. Basically, I mean, I'm putting words in, in his mouth, but he says, when are you going to give up? And he says, I am not giving up until you bless me. So this blessing to him was more important than the struggle that he was going through. And I think that's really important to understand that when Jesus said that you will find me when you seek me, if you seek after me with all your heart, it's this place inside of us that we long for. So Jacob knew that he was not the man that this blessing was going to make him to be because all the outward things that he had accumulated had not changed him. Even wives, even children, you know, and great possessions and, and, and respect from his uncle, which he never had before. And yet there was something more to it that he had to keep fighting for, struggling for, which was this blessing. So he had the blessing from his father in words, but it was never internalized. In other words, this Christmas toy or whatever you want to call it had no batteries. It had a label, but it wasn't an identity. He was still a deceiver. Exactly. And he knew it. So God was willing to stop and say, this is it. Let's just put the brakes on here and you go on with your life. And he goes, no, it's not enough. I need the blessing. I want the blessing. I will not stop. And so what happens? God touches him. God touches him. That's very important. He didn't know it was God then, but he realizes after he disappears that that was God. And he blessed him. He touched him. And what is really striking is that it was dawn. And so for him, that's more than just a time of day. It was the time of his life. It was the beginning of a life where light was beginning to shine on him, in him, and would be through him. The other thing that's really amazing is that he says that God touched him in the leg. And he, from then on, it says that he limped. With that, and that doesn't sound like a blessing. But what he's saying is that God isn't out there to hurt him or limit him. It is that this, this picture is that he would never walk the same again. It did not stop him from walking. We see him walking. We see him active for the rest of his life. But he never walked the same again. And that's what the blessing does. It changes your walk. It changes your journey. You're no longer journeying to find something, to accumulate something, to become someone. You're journeying to be who you are because who you are is who you should be.
So how would you relate then the struggle that Jacob went through to become Israel? How would you relate that to the struggle that we go through in that dark night of the soul, as you would say? How do you personalize that? Well, I think there should be a wrestling match that takes place in everyone. And in the culture we live in today, that is something that, that is never discussed um, in the secular world, um, but little discussed in the spiritual world, in the, in the world of uh, Christian faith. Um, this wrestling m match is kind of like when you said before, well, why couldn't God just bless everybody? Why, couldn't he, why did he have to just choose Abraham and through Abraham? Why couldn't it just do it? And so that thought should be wrestled out. Because if we just accept these things at face value and say, well, this is my face, I believe God, but you really don't because you never really wrestled those thoughts out with God. Why didn't you? And I think later on we're going to learn from Moses that when, when what God expects of us, and the prophets will repeat this, is that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. Jesus asked that same question, what, what is the greatest commandment? He was asked that question. He, he turned back and said, what is the, you tell me, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so that, that concept is like bigger than just going up and saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I accept you as Savior. Amen. And say back in, you know, January 17, you know, 1932, that's when I gave my life to Jesus and I've never been the same since. But have you never been the same since? Have you really had a different way of looking at life? Have you stopped seeing life as if it just revolves around you? Are, are you really inclined to walk into somebody else's life and kneel before them and say, how can I change your, how can I affect your life for good? Um, because like you said, that is how you would bless others. You're saying that, like, for example, God blessed Abraham so that he could be a blessing to the nations. But that blessing is kneeling down before someone and almost being of service to them. God's basically saying, I'm of service to you. Mm -hmm. I'm here to fight for you, to do all these things for you, to prosper you, but not for the sake of being prospered, but for the sake of you doing that to others. It's almost like the one who is esteemed by God becomes the servant of everyone else. Good. In the way that Jesus is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's precisely. Um, and so it's really a wonderful story when we fall into that category of saying, you know what, it's not about me. It's, it's, it, the world does not surround me. It does not um, function without me. Um, I mean, it functions without me. <laughs> Break, time, let's take two. Um, when I was young, I didn't know I believed what is called solipsism it's a it's a theory of life that it's it's actually a um a foundation of thought it's a philosophical concept that people latch onto and live by it's called solipsism and what it basically means is that the world revolves around me i am the sun and every planet surround you know circles me um jonah had that issue he thought the whole world revolved around him and he ended up at the bottom of the sea literally at the foundation of the earth if you remember it, God took him right down to the bottom, the middle of the earth, where the, the earth was literally revolving around him because it, it has a point, a center point. So God took him right to that point to show him, Jacob, where, I mean, Jonah, where is your perspective? Because here you are. The world is literally revolving around you right now. How do you feel? 
Is this what you really want in life? And so God had to show Jonah the same thing that was happening to Jacob. So God does this repeatedly, and but he's he does it to us. If we're really willing to seek him with our heart to become the person that we are called to be, then we're going to find this journey have a struggle to it, a struggling aspect to it. It's not a walk in the park. Well, because it's not easy to recognize that the world doesn't revolve around us because in our own head, it's very easy to see everyone's interaction with you and the way that your life is walking forward as a you-centered thing. It's hard to recognize that everyone's living their own life just as intricate as yours in their own self. So I think that's very important. That realization is very important. But the struggle of coming to, to God, to faith, to all of those things, it's a struggle. It's not just like you said, a simple prayer that we say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Amen. The end. I'm going to go and continue to act like the world revolves around me. Mm. And you asked the question, you know, how is this relevant to anyone else um, outside of Jacob or the Christian faith? Um, and that is what we need to be asking. Is there any relevance here for me? And if that's an honest question, we see that this nature, which, you know, we talked about before when we uh, defined Jacob, uh, which means deceitful, that in the book of Jeremiah, which we quoted from just 17, talks about this heart of man, which is Jacob above all things, deceitful above all things. It seeks its own above all others. And so we recognize, hey, I'm a Jacob too. And that's the recognition that is the scariest part, to admit that there's something in me that needs a touch from God, whatever the cost. I need something, I need to get rid of this thing within me, whether you want to call it uh, Jacob's heart or cancerous or sin, which is what the Bible calls it, a sin nature, it, it needs to be dealt with. But why would you ever want to hold on to it once it's identified? You know, is that really the kind of way you want to live? And I think that, an, that someone who is a seeker, an honest seeker, is going to say, absolutely not. I want this thing removed. And that's what Jacob was striving for. I want to see this thing gone. And that's why he was willing to go the distance. He was willing to fight all night to see that thing gone. Mm -hmm. I think all of us have to come to that recognition of ourselves, as you were saying, that our hearts are deceitful above all things and that we want that gone. But it's like, how do I get rid of my own heart? And you're asking in a way for a blessing from God to have a change and a transformation. I think a lot of people would call that salvation, but I'm not sure that the way that we view salvation would quite cover that because me, you know, walking into grace and saying, I'm all good. Jesus has saved me. Doesn't seem like the quite, quite the same thing as we're talking about here with a struggle and with a change of name at the end of the day, a change of name from a heart that is Jacob to a heart that is Israel. Mm. So, I mean, we're going to get into those names and that change. So maybe this is a good time to stop. And next time we'll talk about that change then from Jacob to Israel and that name and how that matters in each and every one of us. It's appropriate. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and got something out of it. 
If you want to be a part of the conversation or have any questions, head on over to the Comfort My People Facebook or Instagram page, where we'll post about today's episode and join you all in the comments. As always, please subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, and invite your friends to join us as we journey from Jacob. Love you all. See you next week. Shalom.